the humans like a routine. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's, yeah. it's difficult yeah. to start sure. a new routine. But once you get the routine started, it becomes easy. Absolutely. Right? And it's, so it's just about yeah. um, being diligent at the beginning. And then it, it starts, you know, it's like a train. It's very difficult to get a train moving. But once the train is moving, it becomes very difficult to stop that That's thing. Right. Absolutely. right? And it's the same way with what we believe. Yeah. Right? You know, when you look in the brain, when you believe something, it fires light in the brain. Like when you see a brain outside of the head, it has all those creases and wrinkles and everything in it. Those are like lines of belief. It's like when you blaze a trail, you get with a machete and, and you might be in the Amazon and there's no trail and you whack a trail. And then there's some kind of path. And then as people keep walking on the path, the trail becomes beaten down and fully formed. It's the same way with believing, right? You can hear a belief, and if you first believe it, like light will, electricity, electrons, whatever you want to call it, will like jump, and it forms a belief. But the line is just barely formed. And so as you keep hearing that thing, the line becomes further and further entrenched, and you become further and further persuaded that this is true, right? And that's why with the gospel, you hear and keep hearing. It, you can gain intellectual understanding, and you can gain the ability to articulate what you're believing. But that's not what we're after. And that's why we keep hearing the gospel, because it burns that line in the brain. And you become fully persuaded, ultimately, of a very simple thing. You might have to attack 50 million different angles, but ultimately it takes you to a very simple belief. I am fully known and fully loved by God. And what that means is, is that my life has overcome this world and the death in this world, and nothing here can take me from his heart, right? If nothing can take me from God's heart, then nothing can take my life, right? Because nothing can take God's life. And if I'm in his heart, then nothing can take my life, right? And so when you become fully persuaded of that simple thing, it, uh, it's a, what do they call it? A wonderful life. That's what, right. Isn't that the Christmas? Yeah. A, a wonderful yeah. life, right? The thing is, is we've all grown up in this world, right? And as we've grown up in this world, we've accumulated lots of different types of beliefs, We've made lots of different conclusions. We're walking conclusion makers. I mean, we're walking around processing information. Do you know why computers process information? Because humans first process information. And who made computers? And so we're walking around all the time processing information and processing stimuli. What we see, what we hear, what we taste, what we smell, what we feel. And then we're all the time forming our beliefs around those things. Right? And so those things can become deeply embedded in us. And so the gospel comes and attacks all the beliefs that can come from the world from every different angle it can be. In the book of Revelation, it talks about these angels, and it describes the angels as being covered with eyes. And it says no matter which way the angels turn and look at God, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Right? But what it's demonstrating is limitless perspectives to look at God. Like there's an unending perspective to look at God from a million different ways, but all come out with the same conclusion. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the word holy, we don't want to come and think of the word holy from a, a worldly perspective where we think pious or we think, um, you know, behavior. Right? Way down the road, you could say, yes, God is holy. 
And as a result of him being holy, he's only filled with love towards us, and he'll only ever be good to us. But holy isn't like, well, I'm only going to eat certain kinds of food, and I'm, only gonna, I'm not going to drink that glass of wine, and I'm not going to say a cuss word, and I'm not going to go to Mardi Gras, certainly not, <laughs> because I'm holy, right? I promise you, Jesus would be up in the middle of Mardi Gras, right? Because he would want to be with the people. And so holy just means to be set apart. And God is set apart unto living and not dying. He's set apart unto life and not death. And he's set apart unto us. He's set apart unto loving us with every ounce of his being. That's what makes him holy, right? And so when you think of the holiness of God, you ought to get a real clear picture of him embracing all of you, right? With everything that he has and him liking it. That's what you ought to think of when you think of the Lord is holy, right? He's set apart to the spirit of life. He's set apart to the spirit he has in himself. He's set apart unto loving us. He's set apart unto thinking that we are his treasure, right? And when you get a revelation of what it means for God to be holy, your heart will be sanctified from all the conclusions you've made about God and yourself that come from the world. Right, Your heart will be cleansed or set apart from the thinking in the world and you'll be caught up into the thinking of God. And you begin to have intimacy with God, which is what it means to know God. To know God does not mean to know of God. It does not mean to say, well, God exists. That's not knowing God, right? That's not knowing God at all. When I went to Ireland, there were people that came to the meetings that I had never met that I didn't know existed, that I'd never had contact with. They came to the meetings and they knew me because they have been listening for eight years. Mm -hmm. And it was so interesting talking to these people because I'm just trying to figure out who they are and they're telling me about my life <laughs> and my wife and the church and all the things. You see, they knew me. They didn't know of me. They knew me. And so knowing God is that you have intimacy with him and his life on account of seeing into his heart. And he doesn't leave it up to you to see into his heart. The resurrection and the cross is God plopping his heart out on the table so you can see into it. And it's him gathering us to himself and saying, look, here's my heart. And now you look into his heart, you see what's in his heart, you see that he's set apart unto only being good to you. He's set apart unto only upholding your life. He's set apart unto preserving your life from anything that can harm it. He's set apart unto serving you with his peace, his love, his joy. He's set apart unto proving that what he said about you is true when he got down on one knee and barocked Adam or blessed Adam and he made man and he said, it is very good. He's set apart unto proving that he's not a liar and that when he said, you are very good, he meant what he said and he's going to prove it. Right? You know how he's going to prove it? He's going to bring forth all that he is and all that he has in himself inside of you. Now, can you imagine if you're standing there emanating all of God, what you might look like? Will you think anybody will be able to bring an accusation against you? What do you think anybody going to be able to say about you when you emanate the fullness of the Godhead shining out of you? Can you imagine what your skin might look like? I mean, we think some people have nice-looking skin, some people, oh, not so nice. Can you imagine what your skin will look like when the fullness of God is just, whoa, 
right? Who, who's going to have anything to say? Right? Nobody. He dispels the accusation in the world about your life. He dispels the word that's in the world about human, right? Because the world was founded on the serpent's wisdom. Do you know who hates human? The serpent. Do you know ultimately why the serpent hates human? Because the serpent hates God. And guess what? We come from the loins of God. And so if the serpent hates God, he hates us. And so he founded a world wherein everything in this world stands opposed to the truth about God and the truth about human beings. And this world that stands opposed to God, that doesn't know God, that isn't intimate with his heart, that actually sets itself up opposed to his heart, it works to cause us to believe things about ourselves and about God that are in line with its hatred for God and us. That's why you find so many humans despising themselves. That's why you find so much trouble in the earth. That's why you find people rejecting God. Because the world has rejected God. Jesus come and said, listen man, the world will reject you because the world first rejected me. And the whole letter he's talking about, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so the love of the Father is not in the world system. Now that doesn't mean you can't enjoy the world. That's not what I'm saying. But the wisdom in the world is what we're talking about here. Right? It comes to tear down our lives. It comes to destroy our view and opinion of God and of ourselves. And God come to tear down the view and opinion of the world by plopping his heart out on the table and bringing an end to the, the conclusions once and for all. Right? I know the world told you that I've abandoned you and I've left you here. I know the world has echoed in your heart. How can there be a God? If there is a God, where is he now? Let him come and show himself to you if he's really there. I know that's what the world's told you. So we're going to do an experiment. We're going to send the, the word, our son, Jesus. We're going to send him, him into the world. We're going to let every evil thing in the world come upon him. And then we, when we do that, do you know what he's doing? He's flushing out the word in the world. The word in the world is hiding in the crevices. It's not real apparent what it is. Well, he's going to bring that word out by manifesting his son in the midst of this world filled with death, with all the death in the world, trying to say, where's God? How can there be a God? God isn't real. Where's your God now? Let him come for you if he's real. We're going to flush out that word so it comes out in the open. And then what we're going to do after that word is flushed out is we're going to come and we're going to raise Jesus from the dead in the midst of the world. And that's going to be domino. And I won't use the expletives that we would use when we were kids when we won. Because <laughs> not everybody on the recording will like that. But you don't just say domino. You add in some colorful language afterwards <laughs> to make sure that they know you just won. <laughs> right? And so that, that's what God's busy doing in the resurrection. He's making himself known. Right? Because everybody has something to say about that dude. Everybody had something to say about whether he's real, and if he's real, what he's like, what he's not like, what he does, what he doesn't do. I mean, even in our insurance policies, it says an act of God when it talks about hurricanes or earthquakes or any of that stuff. An act of God. Even our insurance policies come to conclusions about God. And so God's like, well, we're going to bring out all the thoughts of the carnal mind about us. We're going to bring out all the thoughts of the carnal mind about humans. Because Jesus is representative of all humans. There he is. 
And we see what they had to say about Jesus. And then God's like, okay, you guys get it all out yet? You done? Is that, is that the best you got? This is the best you got to say that I'm not real or to say that I don't love man or to say that I've forsaken man or to say that man is in the earth without a heavenly father to care for their life. You got it all out yet? This is the evidence you got? Okay. God shows up and brings Jesus out of the grave. Having consumed death in his physical body, having condemned death in his physical body, when he raised Jesus from the dead in glorified immortal flesh that could never die again, and he put death on death row. We're, we're like a... This is a bad example, but we'll use it as a humanly example. But many times when a family suffers a horrible injustice in this world, where there's like a murder or something, let's say like a serial killer that is, you know, committed great injustice against somebody. Many times the family members, they're not really knowing God in that place, and they're just knowing their pain. And they're filled with this great injustice. And they think that justice will be found in the serial killer being getting the death sentence, right? Death row. And that they're looking, they're looking to that for some type of justice. Well, guys, the greatest serial killer that ever lived is death. And it's perpetuated a significant injustice against human beings. And it isn't just like a, um, well, one day you, you could go into the grave. It perpetrates this injustice over and over and over and over again against you by trying to rob you of being able to experience peace and love and joy and kindness and rest. It's robbing you of just being able to sit in peace and enjoy yourself and enjoy life. It's committing this great injustice against us. Well, when God shows up and raised Jesus from the dead, having condemned death in his flesh, that was God sentencing death to death row. To tell all of us who had suffered a great injustice at the hands of the death that's in this world. To tell all of us that he has sentenced that death to an end. And nothing can keep it from being ended. And the way they bring in, like dead man walking, the way they bring in the family members to watch the execution. It's going to be like that on the last day for us. Except the execution is going to be of death. And we're all going to stand there and watch death be consumed. And we have a certainty in that this man Jesus came out of the grave never to be able to die again, never to be able to be touched by death again, in a glorified human body. He's not a spirit. I remember growing up in the whole spirit, soul, and body teaching. Watchman Nee. Hey, God bless Watchman Nee. He was ahead of his time. But the whole spirit, soul, and body thing never made sense to me. Well, your spirit's perfect, but the rest of you isn't. Well, I go look at myself in the mirror, and I'm like, but I got a body. So I don't really care if my spirit's perfect. What about all these blemishes? What about this hair? I can't stand my hair. I got this cowlick back here, man, and I can't get my hair to lay flat. <laughs> How am I ever going to find a woman? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just explaining the thoughts, man, of like a teenager, young guy. Right? You're beholding the effect of death. Right? And you don't like it. This body don't want to hear about how its spirit is perfect. This body wants to hear about how it's going to be ripped. And it's going to get never not be ripped. And it's going to be strong. And it's going to never not be strong. And it ain't even going to have to do anything to keep it there. Right? I, I was ripped when I was a young guy. I had an eight-pack. I was stacked. 
And it was easy. The older I got, the more difficult it got to maintain. And the more <laughs> yeah. things I had to take account of to keep it. <laughs> yeah. Right? But I see in the resurrection that I got a certainty that this body will be preserved exceedingly abundantly above the state I ever got it to here, even when I was at the height. Right? Now that fills me with the, yeah, what's up? Right? Because every time this body tries to minister lack to me and tell me, oh, you're getting older, Greg. Oh, you don't have an eight-pack anymore, man. You know? Every time this body tries to minister death to me, I behold the glorified man, Jesus. And I see that God has sentenced to death. That found an opportunity to manifest in this body. God sentenced it to death. And so now I behold the death that tries to torment me on death row. And I know that all the appeals have been exhausted. And God is not slack in his promise. But he doesn't desire that any would perish. So he's waiting patiently for all those that want eternal life to come home. Because he ain't going to let anybody accidentally miss out. He's waiting patiently so that all people can hear and that everybody that wants eternal life can come home. And when that happens, guess what? He's coming to execute the judgment he already issued against death. And he's coming to execute it in all of our midst. And we're going to watch the thing that we thought was a giant. We're going to watch the thing get shrunk down to nothing and watch it return to dust. And watch it cease to exist. Right? And that's, that's when you start knowing God. You start seeing what manner of love this guy must have for me that he come and done this, right? And you start twisting up. The love of the Father is not found in the world. The love of the Father is found in what he done to conquer death. That's where the love of the Father is found. And as you get your heart, I don't even want to say as you get your heart, but as your heart becomes captivated by the Father and what he's done, you will start to find yourself enjoying life. You will start to find the heaviness leave. You'll start to find yourself thinking heavenly thoughts instead of earthly carnal thoughts, right? And that's where the effect of death, even though death is on death row and we're waiting patiently for it to be completely removed forever, you can experience a life that's overcome death now. Right? That's what God wants. God's not like, well, one day they can experience this life. No, no, no. God's like, we're going to do something that is going to completely remove it once and for all. And that is a day that's coming. But in us doing that, that can have effect on them now, where they can live in this world experiencing a life that has already overcome all calamity, all tribulation, all death, all lack, all torment. And they can live in this world experiencing that. That's the abundant life, where you can enjoy life in this world. You can enjoy people. You can enjoy yourself. That's the most difficult part at first, right? Enjoying yourself. I remember, I mean, I was so hard on people, and I used to think, I'm just hard on people, right? And I just thought, well, maybe they should get their act together. I, I remember. Listen, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just being honest. But God first come and showed me how I was treating myself and how I was abusing myself. And the way I was abusing myself is I was holding myself to the standard of God. And I would be upset with myself if I couldn't be God. And God come and said to me, Greg, you know, really, the only reason why you're upset is because you can't be God. What? And he was right. 
I was examining myself all the time to see if I thought I saw what would be perfect, perfect for God. And if I didn't see it, I was tormented. And then I was judging everybody else that way also. Well, God come and plucked that out. He said, Greg, bro, you find fault with everything about yourself. He said, do you think that you're God? I'm not God. Why am I judging myself according to whether or not I'm God? Next thing I know, all the things I was so critical about with myself, I started laughing at them. I started thinking, that's silly. This guy's funny. All the things that used to really torment me about myself, when I get loud, I used to hate that about myself. I don't mean like a small hate, guys. Like, I would spend the rest of the day talking to myself, and I didn't even know I was talking to myself. Becky would tell me, what are you saying back there? The first few years of the church, I'd come home, and she'd hear me in the back talking. What are you going to do? You know? And I, was, I didn't realize it. I was talking out loud because I'm back there despising myself because i just come home from church, and I'm thinking about all this. And all the yelling I'd done. And all the, does anybody know, what are you going to do? And I'm, I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you're talking out loud back there to yourself. And I was like, oh, man. And I was despising myself because I was finding fault with every little thing about myself. And then God come and confronted that, right? And God brought me to the place where I can actually enjoy myself. And all the little things that I used to hate and think were in the way of me experiencing life, I laugh at those things now. And I think they're freaking hilarious, right? And I hope other people can laugh at them. And I hope that some people can even look at me and think, well, at least I'm not like that guy. <laughs> and they can laugh and start enjoying themselves, right? And the moment you... you you first let yourself off the hook. But then what happens is you let other people off the hook also. And the little idiosyncrasies, the little habits that used to find fault with all the time, that used to get angry about all the time, that used to think what's wrong with these people that they behave this way, why can't they get rid of this stuff? You start to actually enjoy them. They actually become endearing to you, right? Where you start thinking, what a beautiful woman, what a beautiful man that they have this thing. You start to see a uniqueness. And even if there is something going on in a person's life that, that hasn't been born from life or the truth, you even can love them in the midst of that because you see you're not finding fault with them for having a weakness. Because the only reason you can have a weakness is if you're innocent as a dove or innocent as a lamb. And you can begin to see the beauty of a person even in the midst of their weakness. Because you could see why the weakness could be there. And you don't despise them for the weakness. But do you see the beauty that it could even be present in them? And then you start to see, oh man, we're one. We're all an innocent lamb. And you start loving each other in those places. And you start feeling camaraderie. And then people start thinking, wait, wait a second. These things they ain't so bad. It's pretty cool. Right? And you start laughing at yourself. I laugh at myself now when I watch the video. You know, Becky hears me now laughing at myself <laughs> laughing because I was watching the video today my arms were moving so fast they were a blur <laughs> and at first I thought it was a problem with the quality of the video and so I was like where I spent hours trying to fix it then I realized no it's just I'm moving my arms and I'm gonna take off any minute <laughs> and so I was laughing now instead of what are you gonna do right what are you gonna do <laughs> somebody should write a book and I, I thought it was when I first learned the scripture. Somebody should write a book and title it Judgment. Because the majority of the world believes 
Um, if you judge, so you will be judged. And they think, you know, I, always, I thought as well, they all think it's God judging us because we're judge, I'm judging you. Yeah. The truth is, if I'm judging you, I'm judging myself. That's, yeah. and, and that's mm-hmm. Mo has a really good uh, chapter in his book about that. Um, that's death. Yeah. Judge not, lest you be judged. It, it, it just it just starts to roll and gets worse and worse, and it it, it consumes you. It consumes you. It consumes your own ability yep. to enjoy yourself and other people. Yeah, and you become like me. You like, can't you can't have a relationship and, and live like that. No, it's impossible. Well, no, and we're all in a relationship with ourselves. I don't know if we realize right, it. Right. We in a relationship with ourselves first and foremost, yep. and we're so smart we actually think we know ourselves. <laughs> Listen, this is hard for me to say because I fancy myself to be a smart person. I'm just going to be honest. I'll speak as a fool now. I fancy myself to be in the know, right? I, I read a lot about everything. I don't just read about, about a lot about some things. I read a lot about things that I even reject because I want to know about it. I read a lot, and it was a hard thing for me to come to the place where God had to confront me with the thought that I don't even know myself. I've recently learned that about myself, too. That's the beginning of great wisdom. Because now you become open to the only one who does know you, who has spent all your days trying to tell you about you, right? And I promise you, when you know yourself the way God has always known you, you start to laugh at yourself and enjoy yourself. The heaviness leaves, right? The anxiety leaves. The frustration with yourself leaves. And you start to just enjoy life. I love what the Apostle Paul said when he found the Corinthians, whom he labored to establish them in the Lord, who he laid down his life, suffered great calamity to establish them in the Lord. And he found them, and they're all forming factions and divisions. I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of all these people. And they were judging. Paul's not a very good speaker. That guy, he's short, he's boring, line upon line. I mean, people even fall out the window and die when he talks because they get so tired. He talks so long, he won't shut up. Peter, man, Peter shows up in the house and Peter's like, raw. And he starts, and Apollos, man, he's so classical and eloquent in his speech. Paul shows up and says, you don't have many fathers in the Lord. I'm the one that has fathered you in the gospel, right? He says something profound then. He says, you guys say you're of Apollos. You guys say you're a Peter. He says, are you not carnal in your thinking to even say it that way? And then you know what he says? Yay, it matters not if you judge me. For I judge not my own self. Now that is a mighty, profound statement. What that guy is saying is, the Lord has brought me to the place where I lay down my own judgments about myself. And I adopted his judgment about me. And so say what you will. (laughs) Because I'm no longer dwelling in the place where I'm trying to figure me out. Because the one who made me has figured me out. And he's come to reveal me to me. And so I promise you, whatever pain you feel yourself, it's because you don't know yourself. You think you're feeling pain because you do know yourself. No, no, no. You're feeling pain because you're knowing things about yourself that ain't got nothing to do with you. You don't know yourself. And the things you think you know about yourself are killing you. (laughs) You're not knowing yourself. I promise you, if you knew yourself as you have always been known by God, you wouldn't feel no pain. And so one of the things the gospel comes to do is to bring something about in your heart where you lay down all the judgments you gathered about yourself. Oh, and guess where your judgments came from about yourself? They didn't come from inside of you. 
They came from the world around you. And so the world around us has come and told us things about ourselves. And it points at things. And we think, that must be true. Look at it. Right? And God comes to bring something about in us where we lay those judgments down. And we're free from those judgments because we're living by the judgment we see that God has given about us. And we see he's actually the only one who knows us. He's actually the only one who knows us. Right? To, to be fully known by somebody and to be fully embraced by them. Do you know that's what we're all looking for? The world gets us looking for it in the world. That's really what we want. We want somebody to see into every ounce of us, all the imperfections, all the insecurities, all the fears, all the failures. We want someone to look into that and be like, come here. And not find fault with us because of it, not criticize us because of it, not condemn us because of it, but to embrace us in all of it. That's what we want. That's what we want. All that's found in God. And so it's a very simple message that because of human beings being the kind of creatures that were created with the capacity to reason, that simple truth can become very complicated because we reason about our stimuli and we start building doctrines. And doctrine doesn't just have to be about God. We start building doctrines about life. And those things can be complex and intertwined with so many different things. And the gospel comes and hits it over and over and over again from every different angle it can be hit from, from every different perspective it can be hit from, but actually the same truth. To bring you to the place where you know one simple thing. I'm fully known and I'm fully embraced and fully loved. Hallelujah. Right? This guy is set apart unto my life. And this guy can't die. If this guy is set apart unto my life and he can't die, neither can he be touched by death or sin, and I'm he's set apart unto me, oh my goodness, what does that mean about my life? And then you start walking in the world, like what do the young people say? Maybe even a little bit older than the young people, like a boss, right? Where you like, you start, and for the older generation, which I guess I'm in it because I love this show, you start walking around like Arthur Fonzarelli. <laughs> Right? Where you're like, oh, you, oh, you, want, you want some music? Oh, you don't need no quarters. <laughs> he hits the jukebox and it starts playing. There's a killer jukebox in that treehouse. Inside of the treehouse is an antique jukebox that plays. And they give you quarters. Man, we put that thing on. It was so awesome. But you start walking in the world like a boss. Like Neo from The Matrix. Where things are in slow motion. Right Where you see everything in slow motion. You discern everything for what it is. You discern the truth from the lie. You start finding your, the ability to understand yourself because you see what God has said about you. Then you start understanding other people. And then you know what happens? Man, you love the people. And you want to just go grab them by the head. For me, it's a bald head. Come grab them by the back of the head and hold them in your bosom. And let them weep on your chest. And tell them how beautiful they are. Right? And all the stuff they think that makes them not beautiful, all the stuff they think that gives them lack, that makes them come behind, all those things, they're beautiful, man. It's a beautiful thing. It's a sign that your heart is beautiful. Right? It's a beautiful thing. 
I was talking to Billy before uh, church, and you know, it, it really is crazy how your demeanor in life, your continence, your happiness or your sadness or whatever it is, all deals with how you view things, your perspective of things. Yes. And it's not until you come to grips with God's perspective of you and begin to view outwardly at the things around you from a different platform, a, a, a different way of looking at things, that you can begin to appreciate life, the people around you, what's going on, even the bad things. It gives you a platform to see those things and understand what's actually happening there and what's going on there to where you begin to where your continence is not down but uplifted to where you can uh, help the people around you and love the people around you and be supportive of those people because otherwise it, if you don't have that perspective you're going to judge those things and that judgment is never for the good it, it is always trying to correct and criticize and and, and, and make something right that can't be made right from that perspective. Yep. It's you got to have something inside of you that that is transformed in, in, into the mind of Christ that has you viewing those things differently. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's all in you. It ain't it, what's happening out there. Who, no matter whether it be a person event or politics or whatever it is those things will never bring you peace the peace has to come from inside and then you can be begin to deal with it properly yeah. kingdom of God is found within that's right Jesus said yeah. said you guys are busy thinking you can perfect your outward life by doing all these things but a prosperous life is one filled with peace and love and joy not one filled with money or the status or the best seats not that those things are evil but if you think peace and love and joy is found in those things that mindset becomes evil yep. right money is just a thing to be enjoyed uh the nice seat in an opera house is just a thing to be enjoyed a nice chalet in Vail or in aspen that's just a nice thing to be enjoyed Right, but in the day you set those things up as the power unto you attaining the life, then it becomes evil and it becomes mammon. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so it's not the things that are evil, right? Whether you have the things or don't have the things isn't good or evil. It's what you think about whether you have the things or don't have the things that then becomes the realm of good or evil. Right? <clears throat> Seems like it only gets worse when you actually get that thing and then it doesn't do what you thought it was going to do. That's <laughs> very disappointing. <laughs> it is very Wait disappointing. For me, for me, that manifested <laughs> the most in relationships. <laughs> yeah. You know, where you, you, I, I was always thinking that perfecting the relationship or the interaction or the, the behavior of people was the power unto things being right. And I thought, well, I'm doing everything in a right way. You always think you're doing everything in a right way, right? Well, you are in your own eyes, right? <laughs> the, the, the problem is nobody else sees things the same way you do. They think they're doing things right in their own eyes too. But man, yeah, in, in relationships, laying that down, the, realizing that that couldn't 
give me peace. And peace wasn't found in that, right? But that's why you see so many like celebrities or people that get somewhere, they're distraught still. Because they they had an idea that getting there is the thing that's going to finally satisfy me. It seems like that's a pretty desperate place to be because at least you had these hopeful things that (laughs) one day you'd get there and then it would be okay. And then you've got all of those and the hope is gone Yep. because there's nothing left. That's when you have to have a come to Jesus moment. Mm -hmm. And sadly, for stubborn people like me, it takes that despair to actually begin to inquire into God, right? When there's nothing left. When you realize there's nothing left. All I have is God. Yeah, all you have is God. Guess what? That means you have everything. That When you realize, oh, at first, you, I remember all I have is God. First you say it like, woe is me. All I have is God. And then you're like, all I have is God. And then you realize, that means I have everything. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I think about, like, after I started coming to this church, like, one of the, it was really sad at the time. Like, the moment I realized, like, I have no ability to make my husband happy. And, and no ability. Like, I have to give up. It's never, it's not, never happened. It was probably 10 years ago now. But anyway, I felt like, at that moment, like, I felt like God was probably, because, <laughs> you know, every six months, according to the church, I was on a new program of whatever I need to do to right. bring about happiness. It was so painful. <laughs> you know, I feel like that day, God was, I was broken. Like, I was broken. I feel like God was like, yes, girl. Yeah. <laughs> you're on the road, the right path. The, the revelation that you're not God. Oh, yes. The church, the, yes. sadly, much of the, the church worldwide has taught us in a manner that makes us God, actually. Yes, it does. The God of our own lives, oh, the God of other people's lives. It, it, and it crushes us all. It yes, crushes it marriages. It crushes relationships. Yeah. And it's the revelation that, no, I can't bring anybody peace. No. And in the day that I put myself in that place, listen, I'm setting myself up to be their God. Yeah. And that... That will kill me and kill them, right? Adam and Eve were never created from the perspective of, well, Eve is going to satisfy Adam. That's When it says that uh, God saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, it wasn't like, well, he can be made complete in Eve. That's not what he was talking about. That's not what it meant for Eve to be a helpmeet to God or to Adam. What it was talking about was it's not good for Adam to live in this world and not be able to all the time know that he is complete in me. So we're going to give him Eve. And if you go and look at, I'm going to fumble the, I'm going to fumble the paraphrasing of this. But when you go and look at the name of Eve in the Hebrew, it actually speaks of reminding Adam that he's but dust. And that within himself, he does not possess the ability to bring forth life. Eve was meant to serve as a constant reminder to Adam that God was the power under him having life. And when you look at Adama's name, it meant to serve as a reminder to Eve that she cannot be made complete in anything other than God. And so marriage, see, the world comes and corrupts marriage. The world comes and says to the man, you'll be complete if you find the woman. And it says to the woman, you'll be complete if you find the man. And then they come together with each other as the other one's God. And then that crushes the thing. The marriage is supposed to come together for them to walk together and to remind each other constantly that they're made complete in God and not the world and not in each other. And that's the way a marriage can flourish. 
And if you notice, at the times where the marriage gets sideways or when there's butting of heads, it's when one or both people's needs aren't being met or one or both people feel lack. And they're upset that the other one hasn't done something about it. <laughs> right? But listen, this is, it's, just a nor- it's just a normal thing. We feel lack and the human heart, does. apart from the Holy Spirit, the human heart will not just say, I feel lack, Father, what's going on? No, no, no. You feel lack and then you start looking around. Who, who's responsible? Right? Well, listen, if you're married to somebody, it's <laughs> The moment you feel lack, it's real easy to pick out all the things that aren't exactly straight. It's real easy, right? It's not difficult, right? And so Adam, Adam wasn't made complete in Eve. Neither is that why God gave Adam Eve. God said it's not good for Adam to not have a constant reminder that he can look at because he's, he's got flesh. It's not good for Adam to not have something that can constantly remind him that I promised to decorate him with life. And so we'll give him Eve. And Eve will testify to him over and over and over again of where life is found and what will make him complete and what fulfills the promise and vice versa. Seems like the testimony eventually becomes evident anyway. If you are looking to them for something, when you finally realize you can't get it, there's the testimony. That's absolutely. Absolutely. I was, uh, you know, as we were talking, you mentioned, uh, you know, how you can finally attain to something and then despair sets in because you realize that the thing you were hoping for you have and you're still not happy but you know it it just goes to show how how differently God works in different people I want to tell you when I first came to know the Lord I honest to God was a very happy person extremely was like I was just happy I had a beautiful wife uh, you know life was going good for me and ways that you can't even imagine it was like a wonderful life and I got to that point and I didn't look at it and became despairing I was actually happy but I tell you what I did do I looked around and said you know what this I love this life I'm very happy and I'm, I'm do, have all these things. I'm doing all these things. So I said to myself, what else is there that I can have? What else is it? And there was only one thing left. So I come to believe on the Lord. And it was that completeness that you're talking about that even when... It, what I'm trying to say is, there's a lot of people who have good lives out there. Mm-hmm. And because they have good lives, they're not precluded from the kingdom of God. No. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have to come to some kind of place of despair. No. They can actually look at their life and say, mm-hmm. what else is there? Yeah. Is there something else? And there is something else. Amen. And that life, that thing, and that life is the thing that completes us. Yeah. And when we find that completeness... Even though you thought you had a good life, it even gets better. It gets a lot better. So, and actually, isn't that something to help you to really appreciate life when you actually think you have a good life and it gets better? I, I like that. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, man. Listen, my 
avoid the despair, brother, at all costs. I mean, when I was learning how to walk, I didn't even want to go through falling down. I went and grabbed the tire pump and said, forget falling down. One does not have to fall down to learn how to walk. I'll use this tire pump because I didn't even want to fall down and bruise myself or hurt at all. You know? I had a, I had a, uh, when I was young, I had a Bible study and there was a, I actually knew her um, and she was a wild child. I, I mean, I loved her. Um, loved her spirit, but her family, she she wasn't, she didn't go to college, she was a waitress, she drank too much, she did this too much, she did that too much. She had a big family. So, she, um, um, she actually came to the Bible study a few times, and, and afterwards she talked to me about it, and, and uh, shortly after that she got cancer. And it didn't take long, but eight months, and she lived just like, Caddy corner from our house, and it was coming time that she was going to go home. Her whole family came. There was like thirty people in the room, and she was a rail. She was so thin and bones, and 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 they're all crying. And she, I had no idea that God had spoke to her like this because she says, "Don't cry for me." I have life. Cry for yourselves. You've judged me my whole life. I know, and you could hear a after, and she did die shortly after that. And and at the funeral and stuff, people were talking about that, like it was like Stephen being stoned and Paul having. He said, "Forgive me." That's what she was saying. I love you. You've judged me my whole life, though, and you see me dying. You're the one that's dying. I'm alive. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was so powerful. Yeah. That changed my life. Mm -hmm. That made me, I mean, every, every, my family members and friends who, who've passed, um, I don't look at it, at it, that's the end, you know, anymore. The end. The end. There is no end. <laughs> no, right, right. There's a life that's without beginning. If it's without beginning, then it can't have an end. It's all, it, I'm, it's, I'm almost to the point where this life is a shadow and the, the life. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, there, there's no, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. We we tend to judge life in a full life by what we see here. Mm -hmm. A full. Do you think Jesus lived a full life? <laughs> Not according Absolutely. to the world. <laughs> Definitely not according to the world. They nailed his ass to a tree at the age of 33. Definitely not according to the world. Or how about Paul? Any any of them. You see, this, this is a full life is found in knowing God as Father. Yep. That's where a full life is found. So he did live a full life. He really yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. That's right. Absolutely. In reality, yes. he lived the fullest of all lives. Yeah. He lived to live free of the fear of death. That's right. Right? Which only comes by knowing that God's your father. That's that's the full life. We tend to judge a full life by how long somebody lived. How did they pass from this world? What did they do in this world? Where do you think we get the idea of a bucket list? Do you think there's an idea of a bucket list in heaven? Do you think a life that can't end is thinking of a bucket list? Do you even think that's the kind of thought that can come from a life that can't end? He's not thinking that do you think the life that can't end is thinking about how they didn't get to do this or they didn't get to do that? I promise you, there's nothing you're not going to get to do. You have eternal life. There's nothing you can miss out on if you have eternal life. Those are constructs of the world. Whatever the world can tell you, you can come behind in, it will be filled to the fullness of its stature for all eternity. 
right? And so if you find yourself grappling with those thoughts sometimes, it's okay if they come. Don't despise yourself if they come. They're going to come to everybody. It's not a sign that you're not holy or that you're not believing the truth. But when it comes, you want to sit and talk with God about what it means to have eternal life and what it means that you have that life too. Because, man, can eternal life miss out on anything? Can it come behind anything? Do you think God can miss out on something? Do you think God's busy with the bucket list? Right? So that you talk to him about that. You'll become persuaded that you can't miss out on anything. Mm-hmm. Then you start enjoying life. And you start living like a boss. Right? Attacking life. Instead of thinking of what you missed out on or what you don't have. Because then you spend all your days trying to satisfy all those things. That's not really living, man. That's stressful. Right? Jill and I were talking about um, since Easter's coming. Imagine... Imagine all of us being his disciples, and we've been with him for three years, and now we just saw him rip to shreds, and people mocking him, show us your God, you know, come on, you know, and and those three days before that resurrection, all of us are hiding because the Romans are looking to kill us now. The right? same way. And terrified. Now imagine, it makes my hair stand up, that he comes like Matthew and says, hi, and hugs him. Right, and and we see him for who he really is, and that that's like the world, the that's Lord of like, Glory. Yeah, here comes the Lord of Glory. Yeah, yes. right. And the reason, listen, the reason why they were hiding, because the intellect cannot strengthen you. That's why Paul talked about being strengthened in the inner person. The reason they were hiding, even though they walked with Jesus, you think they didn't see Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? Do you, you can't be strengthened in the man save the Holy Spirit. And so that's why, wait, you shall receive power or strength or dunamis from on high. Mm -hmm. When the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of life. You're going to be emboldened and strengthened in the inner man by the power of a life that has overcome death. And when that gets alive inside of you, you're going to flip the world upside down. Right? Right? Right. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, I'm going to go fix the...